Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Life Behind the Times. I'm with Kate Stafford. Do you guys remember her from the show? She's a great guest. And we're doing these new series for our Apple Premium subscribers. Thank you so much to members of Solid Listen Plus. And this is the first episode. We're going to be figuring this out as we go along. And hopefully each episode will come sli- like slightly closer to what it is we want to do here. But today we wanted to talk about the case of Hannah Anderson because we covered the movie on the main show. And this case is, you know, like a lot of these behind the, you know, behind the scenes, these based on a true stories, what I've noticed through the years of doing it is that a lot of them, it's really difficult to find what true story they were based on. Or, you know, you can tell that they very lightly borrowed something and are just really excited to label it as based on a true story. And Hannah Anderson, while that was a, I guess, you know, at the time, sort of a big news story, Kate has a personal, personal connection to that. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, kind of like it's a, it was a, I, you know, I don't remember really seeing this story much and now it's so difficult to find a lot of information on this case, which I would say, you know, that's not normally like a boundary with minors that I, you see respected. Like I, I simply do not know why there is so little information about this case out there. Yeah. I, I've been kind of flummoxed by the lack of information and, you know, I, I looked up, I know um, you sent me something about the, the court case that Dimaggio's sister started for wrongful death. And I actually looked that up. I used my like secret lawyer skills to look up the actual cases and it's really not that interesting. (laughs) So all it came down to was basically like, what's the definition of an heir and whether or not she was able to bring that lawsuit. She was so it it was not i mean a lot of these cases i feel like turn into something a lot bigger but because of how this case ended right it just kind of stopped right for ever for everyone except for hannah <laughs> yeah it petered out for yeah it petered out for a lot of people and i mean there was one thing i even forgot when i was going through like this case that I had forgotten from the movie was that there was 
multiple deaths involved in this. It wasn't just James Lee DiMaggio's guy who kidnapped Hannah Anderson, but he burned her mom and little brother and family dog in a house fire shortly before he took off with her. I guess he drugged her and took off with her. And so again, because this isn't like a true crime podcast, I do want to be sensitive to getting some of the details right But I also, we're not going to be super heavy detailed focus, especially in a story where there's more questions than answers. But I will state first and foremost, I am team Hannah. I'm with you. Yeah. Like I'm team Hannah. There's, it's it's kind of insane to me that there's even so many questions about whether or not she was, I don't know. I don't understand this at all. I don't. I just, it, it is bananas to me that anyone would question the fact that a 16-year-old who, you know, legally speaking, doesn't have any autonomy. <laughs> I, I mean, and she was with somebody that she loved and trusted. You a know, family that, friend. Yeah. yeah, like that's the part and people are like, oh, it's so creepy. Like, why would she go alone with this guy? I'm like, because she called him her uncle. Like, that... That seems so normal to me. Absolutely. And I, you know, the more I was, I was looking through all these old clips. I guess she did one morning type show saying that one of the many things she said was that, you know, that James knew that she was having a hard time with her mom maybe a year prior because her dad had moved further away. And I believe James was friends mostly with her dad, but he, you know, she would text him to vent about being, you know, being a teenager and like being like stuck at home. And like, it would make sense that if you're mad at your mom because she took her, your dad away, if that's how you're seeing it at 15 years old, you'd want to text someone that you know is on your dad's side because you don't want to talk to the family members who are going to be like, no, Hannah, trust me. Yeah. You know, like there's a reason why your mom's not a bad person. You want to talk to the person who's going to sympathize with you. And based off of like, not to pervert this relationship, but it's very obvious that he thought there was something there that it was that there wasn't. Sure. Which leads me to believe that what was, you know, what Hannah is a victim of is like being a victim before. She was groomed. Exactly. Being a victim before conversations of of grooming were happening. So even if she didn't have any sort of like, you know, sort of uninformed childlike crush or or what she might have confused as like a sexual feeling for him. And I don't think she did. Even if that's even if that's like the case, she was groomed by a 40 year old man. Like there's just no two ways about it. Right. Yeah. So. From the Wikipedia, it says, On or about the afternoon of August 3rd, 2013, 16-year-old Hannah Marie Anderson, born July 22nd, 1997, she is a Leo, doesn't mean this is her fault, was abducted (laughs) after cheerleading practice from Sweetwater High School in National City, California. The suspect was later identified by authorities as 40-year-old James Lee DiMaggio, owner of a home in Boulevard, California, about an hour away, where Anderson, her mother, Christina, and brother Ethan had been overnight guests the previous evening. So they were close like that. Like, they would go stay. They would go stay at his house when they were in the area. Yeah, and that, again, 
seems totally normal. So the bodies of Christina Anderson, Ethan Anderson, and the family dog were later found in DiMaggio's burned home. An Amber Alert was issued for Hannah Anderson, who was found alive in Cascade, Idaho. On August 10th, a week, a week after she was abducted, DiMaggio was killed by FBI agents during a shootout at the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness in Ohio, where he'd been hiding Anderson at a campsite. Now, you've seen the movie, again, more recently than I have, but I don't feel like we did a lot of like flashbacks to what their relationship was like. I remember sort of opening up. It felt almost... I don't know. It felt almost like Elizabeth Smart-esque or something. The way that we were just seeing this like girl trying to keep it cool around a guy that was losing his shit in the woods. And when search and rescue groups went looking, there was a plane above. She was clearly waving to them. And that's like people who believe her i mean this is it's so absurd that people even if she hadn't waved it's like she's in this insane situation but like the fact that she sort of waved to authorities to say like hey we're over here come come fix this that is like some smoking gun in favor or not depending you know people think make way too big of a deal of that truthfully yeah and i i mean elizabeth smart is a really good parallel i think because you know, or or somebody like J.C. Dugard. Like, yes, these are women who absolutely, you know, when you're armchair quarterbacking their experience, you can say like, oh, you had this time to leave. You had this time to leave. You could have said something to the police then or somebody there. Like, I can't imagine that kind of like psychological prison that you're in when you're under the control of somebody like that. Like they have a weapon, they've, you know, threatened you or your family or whatever. Like, how do you deal with that? Especially as a young person, like as a 16 year old. Even like the shock and deception of like a family friend you've known your whole life that you call your uncle like taking the mask off yeah that's like scary hey what the fuck are you doing yeah Yeah, my, my whole life has been a lie like I thought this guy was like a safe person I think it'd be I don't know I mean yeah it feels even more like maybe it could be difficult for her to like recognize that maybe he's going through maybe a psychotic episode which has been floated by one of his I friends. Mean, clearly he had to have been, right? I mean, there's there was something that broke in him. Yeah, maybe I would have to think. Know. Yeah. And I, mean, I yeah. the biggest clue, and I actually just as you were like reading the Wikipedia, I was thinking this. Like the the biggest issue <laughs> I think that raises a red flag of like you're having a psychotic break is that he also shot the dog. Yeah. Like, there was no reason to shoot the dog. And, like, you know, and, and I'm not trying to sound insensitive. I'm not trying to, like, minimize the the lives of Ethan and Christina at all. I just yeah. think that humans 
are able to justify their actions toward other humans in a much easier way than they are to animals, if that makes sense. It does make sense. The only reason I can think of if there's like a practical reason why this guy would shoot a dog, it's maybe possibly because he was worried about the dog bringing attention to the house fire before, yeah, before, you know, there could be nothing left so to speak yeah and there was literally nothing left if you've seen those pictures there i mean it was burned to the ground yeah it's i'm not familiar with this part of california so much i know you've lived you lived in san diego around the time that this happened are you familiar with these towns that they're talking about i am a little bit not i'm not familiar with boulevard which i think is where he lived yeah well and it was really interesting because I I moved to San Diego the week that this was happening. So I and I was so unaware of everything, but I think it was because I was just like not on media. I was focused on moving and kind of figuring out I don't know, my new life, but yeah, it it was remarkable to me like watching this, how big it was and how unaware I was being in that area I think like that's pretty normal I know that as much as I I feel like I've always cared about certain things in the news like I don't think that you have that thing that happens in you when you get to a certain age in your 30s where like paying not paying attention to the news anymore is like not cute and like I but I do think that like there was yeah I mean there's I don't know so much stuff that has happened during those years because I just wasn't tuned in yet Yeah. So let's, you know, let's show you some grace, but let's go through the boulevard murder section of this. So it says James DiMaggio had invited Christina Anderson and her children to his home at 2071 Ross Avenue and Boulevard, ostensibly to say goodbye because he was planning on moving to Texas. The Anderson family, who lived about 45 miles away in Lakeside, stayed over at his home. The children's father, Brett Anderson, was on a three-month job in Tennessee at the time. On August 4th, a fire was reported at DiMaggio's home in Boulevard, where firemen found the bodies of Anderson's mother, Christina, her eight-year-old brother, Ethan, and the family dog, Callie. Oh, Christina Anderson died of blunt force trauma, believed to have been caused by a crowbar. She was apparently tortured, and her body was covered with a tarp. Callie was shot dead and covered with a sleeping bag. An arrest warrant was issued for DiMaggio. In late December 2013, the San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office released results of autopsies of Christina and Ethan Anderson. The autopsy of Christina Anderson found that a plastic cable tie had been used to bind her ankles and that duct tape was wrapped around her neck and mouth. Her right arm and both legs were fractured. There was a cut on her neck. She had been struck at least 12 times in the head. The autopsy of Ethan Anderson determined that the boy died because of the fire, Though he had skeletal fractures that could have been caused by events during the day of the murders. So what's crazy is that he might have left that little burnt boy to burn. Just like he, you know, maybe he like gave him a good clunk on the head. That's awful. Have you seen pictures of that little boy? He was so cute, too. He was so cute. And it's like so cute. I can't imagine having such like a younger sibling too. I mean, there's like an eight year age difference there, which is like pretty significant. Yeah. Because 
from what I understand, we're in families where there's like a, a decent, like an eight year gap between siblings. It's a little bit like they're living in different worlds, you know, like you're eight years old and this tiny person shows up. And for the first three, I mean, by the time you're off to high school or maybe just starting to have a decent vocabulary, like <laughs> it's like that he was probably such a little boy to her, you know, right. which is so crazy. So on August 4th of 2013, Anderson's grandparents called the police and reported their grandchildren missing, prompting the police to issue a statewide Amber Alert. The first alert sent out to cell phones in California. So now that sounds familiar. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't recall whether or not I got this Amber Alert. I'm sure I did if it was I know in my area. Oh, my God. I was at, like, a terrible job when they first started sending Amber Alerts to Oof. your phone. And we had, like, a no phones allowed in the area where most of us spent our day. Right. And but a lot of us brought like brought them in our pockets and just kept them on silent and didn't look at them, you know, and then if there was a break, then we wouldn't have to go all the way to our individual offices to like check our email. Right. And I remember one day there was an Amber alert and my boss started like freaking out on me. He's like, why do you have that on? I'm like, I don't know. They're from the government. Like I have no idea. I can't. It's on silent. I promise. It's on silent. They're just trying to let me know that there's an elderly woman wandering around Burbank and no one can find her or whatever. But yeah, so sightings in Idaho. So on August 7th, two people matching the description of DiMaggio and Anderson were seen by horseback riders in Cascade, Idaho. The next day, authorities were notified of the sighting after the riders watched a news report about the abduction. So the shooting and rescue, according to Anderson, James DiMaggio, while they were fugitives, had threatened to kill her and anyone who tried to rescue her. On the same day that the sightings were reported, DiMaggio's car, a blue Nissan Versa, was discovered near the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness. That feels like River of No Return. That feels like someone who is having like it's giving me like the QAnon dad who like took his kids to Mexico and killed them because he thought they had lizard DNA. Yeah, I can't. Like, I, it's that word association thing that you often see in people who are having a psychotic break or, like, you know, not to, like, throw this around, schizophrenia, you hear of that a lot, like, over, like overlooking into meanings of things, which I could absolutely be doing now. But if I... If I was, I can imagine if I was in a place like that, if I wound up at a place called River of No Return Wilderness, that wouldn't be just because I picked a park. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I don't know that I would want to go there anyway. So on August 10th, police discovered DiMaggio's campsite and an FBI tactical agent killed DiMaggio near Moorhead Lake around 5 p.m. DiMaggio, that 5 p.m. is good because, like, at least she didn't have to do another night there. Yeah. You know, like, 5 p.m., that's good. So DiMaggio fired at least one shot at the officers, causing the officers to fire back, killing him. He was shot six times in the head, arms, and upper torso. Anderson had no visible injuries but was taken to a local hospital for crisis counseling. Afterwards, when she was asked if she was glad James DiMaggio was dead. Hannah Anderson responded, absolutely yes. So let's get into a little bit more about James himself. So 
He was 40 years old when this happened. He was a telecommunications technician in San Diego. God, like, that's so interesting because you know that there were so many people who run into, you know, like, that's that's a guy that sees people all day. Yeah. I. It, it seems so... I don't know. And I did you do a kind of a deep dive on his history? Because I didn't. But now I wish I had. So I did. We do have a news clip where one of his friends who was very surprised by this and actually oddly enough is, is a mental health expert. He said that his family was a nightmare growing up. His dad passed away and his mom was a meth addict. And so he and his sister spent a lot, a lot of time like being at dealers' houses and, you know, just sort of being with a mom that was so sick in her addiction that she quite clearly loved the drugs more than she loved her kids, you know? And that's especially like, you know, after losing a parent, I believe his dad died. I, I can't remember if his dad died or if his dad was like a decent guy who just sort of like abandon his kids. I don't know if those two things can exist, but yeah, like I can, I, I don't know. I see how this happens. Like I see, I see, you know, people have a hard enough time understanding things. Have you ever met like a man who was cheated on when he was 19? Like that man's brain is so emotionally wrecked, like in a way that it doesn't really happen to women. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Yeah. But then when you take it to like a, an extreme place, like what happened with to him growing up, it's it's like one of those things with like, do you remember the R. Kelly documentary where it was like so clear that he and his his three like him and his two brothers had such different reactions to growing up in the environment they did? Yes. Like that's that's a little bit it always feels so interesting to sort of see the, you know, unfortunate experiment that comes when you have multiple, multiple children <laughs> no and I've seen that in my own family I mm-hmm. I have I have three siblings and the fact that we were all raised under the same roof and where we are now is kind of bananas I can't it's, imagine honestly it's pretty bananas we'll talk about it some other time but it makes me nervous when I think about that. Like, um, cause I'm so glad I'm an only child sometimes when I think about that, I'm like, I couldn't have someone who's way more successful than me or someone who's like, you know, bringing the pack down. I can't, you know, this is why I'm a Oh no, you'd baby. be the pride and joy. What are you talking about? But yeah. It, <laughs> no, I mean like my responsibility to them is more. It is, <laughs> <laughs> it is really interesting. Like I, I, I mean, I have, not I don't want to get like so far into this but to your point like I have a brother who has been homeless many many times and he and I grew up in the same house like we grew up with the same I mean nothing was different and we're all pretty close like so to your I mean close in age so to your point earlier like we we are not a family that there was a very small baby when the rest of us could have taken care of them. <laughs> like my parents had four children within like six and a half years or something. So are you Irish? Yes. Okay. Were you raised Catholic? No. 
Okay. I was raised, my parents, so we're Canadian. My parents, I was, I guess we were Anglican in Canada, but I went to an Episcopal school for 12 years. Okay. So. Yeah, those, I mean, those Irish really, I mean, we can have kids till 50. You yeah, know, for the most part. Yeah. So, yeah, according to a friend of DiMaggio's father, James Everett Lee Sr., died exactly 15 years the day before his son. Ooh, that's interesting. Right. So the friend said the elder DiMaggio, who was accused of attempting to kidnap the 16-year-old daughter of an ex-girlfriend in 1988, committed suicide on August 10th, 1998. And through public records indicated that his suicide was instead committed on August 10th, 1995. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Was he trying to be in the family business? Yeah, I don't know. That's so strange. It is strange. DiMaggio was said to be the best friend of Christina's husband, Brett Anderson, and he was like an uncle to the children. He had helped them with various tasks, such as driving Hannah and a friend from a gymnastics meet, during which he had unnerved her by saying he would like to date her if they were the same age. Creepy. A hundred percent creepy. And again, like goes to sort of support the theory that like unnerved is a great word because like you're not necessarily like going to go home and tell someone if a guy like, you know, if your family friend says that to you, like, right. Especially when we were growing up, like the entitlement and I still see like a lot of young kids dealing with this today. The entitlement that family and family friends had on commenting on our bodies or like just like, you know, what our romantic partners would be like, you know, that sort of like those comments were always inappropriate, but not necessarily uncommon. Yes. And so she might not have gone home and said, Mom, you know, I I feel like he was hitting on me or something that I don't even know if she would have processed it that way. Yeah, I and I agree. I think it would have been one of those things where it's like, oh, that's kind of nice that like somebody sees somebody that I care about sees value in me as a person. And that means something like for sure. You know, I mean, it would be the same thing if like, you know, I mean, this would be entirely inappropriate if, like, a teacher said, like, I would date you if we were the same age. But but I think it speaks more to a teenager's need to, like, be seen and be valued than it That's does. That's an amazing point. Than it does for, like, the sexuality of it, you know? Absolutely. 100%. 100%. And like, let's like look at the situation. You know, Hannah's dad, it seemed like would always take these sort of like long haul jobs. And her mom is probably busy with her much younger brother who does need an adult around all the time. And like, you know, around 15, 16, like that's a good age where if you have like a, a trustworthy daughter, you could trust this family friend to maybe take them and their friends up to Los Angeles for a gymnastics meet. And they went on this, they went on a trip together. And during that trip, DiMaggio kept complaining that she wasn't paying enough attention to him. And her friends that were there with her were like, 
nope, she didn't want to be alone with him. She was creeped out by his comments on the drive to the meet, you know? So, like, she basically, I mean, she basically was weirded, weirded out by him. But also, when you're that age, like, my priorities were so fucked. Like, I'd be like, yeah, this person's weird, but I'm going to choose not to listen to my gut because I do want to go, you know. I want to go to L.A. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's got a ride, (laughs) you know. 100%. Especially if you're not getting along with your mom and- You know, she's the only one in the house, really. Like, you've got an eight-year-old brother. What do you have in common with him? I mean... There's probably resentment there, too. A hundred percent. You know, because he's getting all of this attention, and she feels even more... She feels probably like the only other person that could have paid attention to her. Her dad was taken away, possibly, by what she viewed as her mom's shortcomings. So... yeah. DiMaggio listed uh, listed Hannah's grandmother, Bernice Anderson, as the beneficiary to his life insurance in 2011 while he lived with her. That's interesting. Yes. And that was one of the things that actually in this book, and I'm sorry, I'm doing a very poor job because I thought my Kindle notes would be easier to access and they're actually not. No, take your time because what what I said to Kate was like, okay, I'm going to try and read this book because there's a book that's written by, I mean, they're haters. Yeah. But there was this book that was written by people who basically want to blame Hannah for this. And it's called you know, Zip we- Ties and Lies by Sue Jensen, question mark. And we came to this like conclusion that stealing it would be fine. You do have it for free on Kindle. And that in the spirit of this podcast, just to prep you, Kate read about half the book. So yeah. <laughs> so we're not like, you know, this is again a real loose conversation. What were you what were you gonna say about what was in the book? So there was something about the they used the so this book, just to put it kind of like blanket statement is very against Hannah. It is a book about why Hannah's a liar and that this case was muddled. So, all right. So when we were talking about the life insurance, the life insurance, one of the points that came in, I can't find the quote exactly, but I, I swear I noted it, but it, my notes. Well, Okay, my apologies. No, while you look for that, I'll finish this Wikipedia sentence right here. It says he intended for the $112,000 for Hannah to go to Hannah and Ethan, but did not trust their parents to handle the inheritance, which I thought was very interesting as well. Because, you know, I, I mean, the Lifetime movie portrayed Hannah as living in like a very upper middle class home with her dad. And that she returned to this sort of really, like, sweet area. And I'm sure they didn't live in a dump or were broke, but $112,000 in life insurance money, like, if he didn't have some sort of other grand plan or something. That's not huge. It seems, yes, it seems unlikely that he would die before that amount of money could, like, it seems like it would be long enough that before he died, that Hannah would be 18 when that life insurance money came through. Right. 
and would have been able to handle it herself. But again, this is like, yeah, there's a lot of incestual stuff here. And this goes on to say that this revelation prompted members of DiMaggio's family to request a paternity test to determine if he fathered the Anderson children. Brett called the suggestion disgusting, and an Anderson family spokeswoman said that DiMaggio had not met Christina until she was six months pregnant with Hannah. The DiMaggio family later withdrew their request for DNA testing. And that feels like a, that feels like the type of thing that the relatives of a dead person might do because they couldn't understand why, like, that amount of caring or generosity wasn't directed toward them. Right. Like, I don't think they really thought that he was the father of Hannah and Ethan. I think they were like, well, he must be. Yeah. He's given away a hundred and twelve thousand bucks. Yeah. I have to say, so I I don't work in this area now, but when I was living in California, I worked in trusts and estates when I was still in law school. And I I mean, it is unbelievable how people come out of the woodwork for money after somebody dies. Like, I've never, I've never understood it. (laughs) Just probably because I don't come from money. So it, it's very easy for me to be like, "Mm, I I mean, I'm probably not going to get anything. So that's fine. So I don't understand why other people feel like somebody else's money belongs to them. But it is incredible what money does to families. It's insane. Yeah, it like it's it destroyed a part of my family, you know, which I think the part of it that always bothered me the most is that the person who manipulated my elderly grandparents into changing the executor of their will, which is like absolutely illegal, yeah, truthfully. This person seems to think that everyone was mad at him for what he was able to like keep or take away when in reality I think most of us were just fucking weirded out because like there wasn't there's no there's no one thing in this world that someone could do to either take away my memory of my grandparents or give me that would make up for the loss of them and so you know, there's been a couple things like I had a family member die and I have a feeling that another family member kept my cut. But I was like, I never I never wanted money for that. I never I never entered into this relationship intentionally. But like, you know, while enjoying it very much my whole life, it never occurred to me. What will I get when they die? Exactly. Yeah, I think I got a I got a two hundred dollar savings bond when my last grandparent died so and hey fuck yeah you know yeah it works how does savings how do savings bonds work do they grow over time i can't even tell you this was years and years and years ago i have no idea i don't know if i've i've heard like what you don't know about you know sometimes you'll get a video like that on yeah recommended and i'll click it and i'll be like at one point i would have been able to answer that question for you but not today (laughs) Yeah, no, it's no problem. So according to released warrants, DiMaggio received letters from Hannah Anderson, which were found in his home by investigators. Which I don't think we've ever been able to read. Like those have not been released to the public, right? 
No. And apparently they exchanged over a dozen phone calls with her before the murders occurred. Now, I was able to see this addressed in one of the many. I mean, when I'm telling you that it's difficult to find a clip that's over a minute and 20 seconds. It's really just like the tiny little previews that they used to do before every show would push clips of their TV interviews. They were they were just moments. And she had said that they had exchanged so many calls the day that, you know, and texts the day that everything happened was because he was coming to pick her up from cheerleading practice. And he was, you know, he wasn't really sure where they were practicing. And so she, you know, called him to like talk about that. And then he wanted to call to confirm something. And she told him that she was going to be at the gym, but then called again later to say, actually, I'm not going to be at the gym. I'm going to be at this part of the building. And like, you know, that's the kind of thing that like you might have, especially back in the day. I don't really think you see this so much anymore, but like there were times when you would like go back and forth on like 12 quick phone calls with someone. A hundred percent. Again, like this is another thing that's brought up in the book that does not seem weird to me. If you're trying to meet with somebody in a place that you're not familiar with, it's not weird. Absolutely. And then on top of that, like there's no information about how long these calls were. Right. So some of them could have been, you know, I mean, it was probably could have easily been a series of, you know, 30 second calls and maybe with like one longer one, you know, where. Because they were, you know, they were very close. That was her uncle, you know. So they probably did have a, you know, what are you doing today? What are you doing after practice? Like, you know, do you need to go anywhere? Like those conversations, like I I see them as being straightforward because she was vocal with her friends that she was uncomfortable about aspects of being with him. Yeah. So like I feel like if if it was much more than just sort of like little quick catch up and then asking questions, yeah, I... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I mean, did they think, are they, are they trying to propose that potentially they spoke in great detail about how he was going to burn her mother and little brother to death? And like, even if that was the case, would she still, would she be guilty? That's the thing is that people think she's legitimately guilty of murdering her mother and brother, which is absolutely crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And I'm not saying it's crazy because it's just crazy to want to murder your family because I, while I do think that is pretty unusual. Yeah. It happens. I mean, there are enough cases out there that we know that like patricide's a thing. And it, it is, it's scary, but I don't think that that's what was happening here like is patricide when you kill your parents yes okay well actually hold on sorry is that just when you kill your father maybe patricide is that like menendez brothers yeah okay so sorry patricide is the killing of one's father so patricide and matricide would be mother but how would you say parents This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. 
They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming. And when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. That's code pastel at bookofthemonth.com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. I don't know. But yeah, like, you know, basically it it says as we like wrap up this wiki that the investigators do not suspect any complicity on her part. And then it says that Gore also suggested that's the sheriff. The sheriff in San Diego. Yeah. He suggested that authorities may never be able to fully determine the reason for DiMaggio's crime rampage. Right as we like get to the very last moments of this wiki they do the great thing they offer on a lot of these sort of like crime-based wikis the in popular culture section and so of course they acknowledge the lifetime movie first and foremost but then this is we both watched this i was like oh well i'm not reading a book (laughs) but i'll watch an svu that they said is based on this for sure so we watched send in the clowns which is i believe season 19 episode 17 And it was inspired, they say, partially by this case, as well as the 2016 clown sightings. And as a juggalette, I was very (laughs) triggered during the opening scene because I was like, they're doing it. They're vilifying. And I hate clowns, truthfully. But I was like, they're vilifying juggalettes like and juggalos. (laughs) So the clown sightings were reports of people dressed as evil clowns. Congruous settings. Congruous, yeah. Yeah, near forests and schools. They were reported in the United States and Canada and subsequently other countries. I don't really know what they did. So I feel like this episode, after watching it, I I guess I get why somebody might have thought that this is why 
that the Hannah Anderson case was part of this, but there's a legitimate, like, other, full other case that is actually inspired. It's much more fitting. Yes. And And I think also, like, a hater must have made that conclusion because in the episode, spoiler alert, (laughs) Like the girl is in on it with her teacher. And there was a story about a girl who ran off with her teacher. I don't think anyone died, though. There is that. And then there's the story that it's actually based on where the girl ran away to her biological father and Uh ended up marrying him. That's that's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. It's really rough. It's so, really rough. A big thing in the movie that was oh, did you find any did you want to talk about anything in the book that you found before we get to the Ask FM chapter? So I just have certain so the way the book is laid out is really interesting because it like it it lists facts, quote unquote, and then basically lists like commentary about the facts. And so it's really not it is not a good book. So like let me guess if I had to <laughs> guess what you're based off of what you just described, I'll tell you what I'm imagining. Yeah. So like it's like almost a bullet point list of like facts, things that we know to be true about the details and then probably very biased interpretations of what those facts could mean. A hundred percent. And I have so many examples that I could give you. Like at the end of it, I was like, I'm highlighting literally this whole book because I just like, I mean, it, uh, there was one thing. What was the one that I like absolutely wanted to share with you? Cause there are a lot that I have highlighted. Okay. So here's an example I don't think this isn't the one that I was thinking of, but here's an example. It says, fact, quote, Hannah's cell phone was found inside DiMaggio's burned out home. What teenager leaves their cell phone behind, especially Hannah, who had already admitted that she was constantly on her phone and had to turn it off to keep from being tempted and making Uncle Jim mad at her. Note, in an original report that has since disappeared, Hannah's phone was turned on briefly around 8 p.m. on August 4th with somebody at Jim's house using Hannah's phone just before the fire broke out, or is it possible her phone was left behind on purpose? Was Hannah's cell phone the incendiary device used to start the fire, either with a call or the phone, or to her phone to or the alarm set for a certain time. Um, um, which is like crazy, like QAnon kind of conspiracy. I was just going to say it's giving <laughs> like, it's, it's the problem with Q is because like so much of it actually can make sense. If you want to believe that narrative, it's very choose your own adventure. Yes. Right. Like if yes. you, you can look at a fact like that and you can assume the absolute worst about it. Truthfully, when they say like, what teenager does that? Well, you know, I'm having a hard time finding exact details about her being drugged. And one of the things that one of these hater types pushes back on is 
how her details about being drugged are hazy, which I'm like, yeah, she was fucking because drugged. she was drugged. Yeah. Like I, you know, she's a 16 year old girl. Like, I don't know how it, what kind of history of getting loaded you expect her to have. And at what point it makes her abnormal to have not been getting like, you know, fucked up on the regular and be able to be like, oh, no, I've been like that before, officer. Yeah. Like I took a really bad acid trip. It no. was something, you know, no, she has no grasp on like what being drugged is like. I have a suspicion, this is getting personal, but I have a suspicion that <laughs> that I was given Rehypnol at some point in my college years by a mm. friend slash coworker. And I did not realize it until like years later. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, I I don't understand why I don't remember anything from that night. But I was with this person who's my friend, and da 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 da. And I, I, I mean, if you are drugged, like you might remember in like flashbulb memory kind of situation, but. Beyond that, there's just, I don't know. I think it's so awful to try and, I don't know, put that on her. Invalidate. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and this whole, like, the people who are, you know, accusing Hannah of lying or fabricating or somehow being in on this. I mean, especially the women. It First of all, it reeks of misogyny. Yeah. It also reeks of like, you know, it almost seems like in some cases, these people who are like, well, she wants attention. And it's like, well, are you afraid to ask for attention? Because it feels like you, you like you spend a lot of people for like uh, judging, judging them for seemingly wanting attention right. when wanting attention isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, no, and it's also not something that everybody wants. Like, exactly, exactly. I don't know. I mean, I live my life hoping that most people will forget me. That came true actually when you forgot me. So it was, I did forget you. You guys (laughs) will tell that story. Yeah, we'll tell that story sometime. I, I, uh, but, but truly, like, I am not a center of attention person and. I mean, I remember like in class and everything like that, if if somebody, if teachers didn't know who I was, if I like, I'm totally fine being part of the background. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it's silly to think, and maybe Hannah is not that way, so maybe this is a moot point, but I, I think it's kind of crazy to think that everybody would want to use their experience of being kidnapped as being like look at me look at me well it's like multi-tiered right because like there's people who are fine being in the background because they like it and they prefer it there's people who don't mind putting themselves out there and enjoy the attention but maybe that's not the sole like the priority for them when they're putting themselves out there maybe they just want an outlet or to be heard or whatever and that goes for people who are famous not famous it's like anyone who has a blog right yeah but then there's like another group of people that want attention 
but either know that they don't have a valuable way to get it or they feel held back by something typically about themselves. And I'm going to play this clip from, it's like an ABC news clip, but I'm going to play this clip because like the irony of this woman campaigning to discredit a 16-year-old girl because she went on Tumblr after having this happen to her and used the Ask FM feature or whatever. The idea of this woman going on the news to discredit her and basically calling her an attention whore is like the most, it's like, that's what you want to be known for. You have so little faith in your ability to like get yourself out there that you want to basically accuse a victim of being like some sort of like attention seeking monster. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm going to play this clip. It's just about three minutes long, but this is like, you know, this is about, this is about what's out there. The story of Hannah Anderson has taken another turn tonight. A report that a member of her own family has turned on the young kidnapped victim. Her great aunt is quoted as being disturbed by Hannah showing no grief in the wake of the murder of her mother and brother. New tonight, 10 News reporter Steve Fiorina joins us now with how pictures and postings by Hannah herself has sparked the turn. Steve. Kim, uh, the great aunt spoke only to 10 News about the troubled 16-year-old girl we see on here on her Instagram account. Things like this picture of her boyfriend uh, fixing eggs for breakfast. Uh, this is a girl who's abducted by a 40-year-old family friend who told her he had a crush on her and then murdered half the family. And you see an Instagram account with smiling faces throughout. Hannah Anderson used to call James DiMaggio Uncle Jim. Then came her kidnapping and the killings of her mother and brother this house torched to cover it up. Ending a week later in Idaho, when FBI sharpshooters pumped six bullets into DiMaggio and rescued Hannah. Then came a network TV appearance, relentless postings on social media, and soon the central character in this book, The River of No Return. The author, quoting Hannah's great aunt, Jennifer Willis. She had just told me that she finds it disturbing how Hannah's acting. We haven't seen her grieve at all. Chelsea Hoffman noted that it's difficult for Ms. Willis. Jen, she's in a very deep state of mourning right now, and she's very, very fragile. Ms. Willis spoke with 10 News, quote, I did talk with Ms. Hoffman. My intention was not to hurt Hannah or cause her any distress, but to get more answers to so many, many questions which have not been answered. I love Hannah, and I loved my dear Tina and little fishing buddy Ethan. That's all I care to say on the matter. Last week, Hannah tweeted, my family still can't get along. WTF. I, I'm very curious as to what she meant because this was before Jen had spoken to me. There are other contradictions. These pictures of Hannah with a knee brace on different legs on the same day. One explanation she gave was that she hurt one in Idaho. The other was an old sports injury. I believe that she was faking her injury or playing it up. And bearing in mind all the online chatter, and she's actually said that she's never going on television again because she, quote, doesn't like the attention, which is absolutely strange because she's posting every single move she makes during a day on Instagram and Ask FM, including topless pictures of her boyfriend making her eggs. Kidnapping victim, witness to the death of the man who took her, a survivor when her mom and little brother are dead. These are overwhelming circumstances for everyone showing up like this on Instagram. She's 16. Steve Fiorina, 10 years. Okay. So 
<laughs> I mean, did you see the actual clip, like the video of Chelsea or like the picture of her they used? No, I didn't. I'm going to send you a screenshot. So like, tell me if I'm wrong. Does this woman, and I'm using this word in particular, does this woman not look like she is an older version of Hannah who has dealt with insecurity and depression her entire life? Yes. Like the angle Next of the question. <laughs> Like, I mean, like there's just so much going on here. And I point this out specifically because, you know, she's saying, well, she doesn't want to go on national television, but she's fine posting to her Tumblr. Yeah. And it's like, well, what are you calling her? You call like, just say it. Like call her some nasty horror, whatever it is you want. Like you fucking pathological hater. Like well, this woman seems like she found someone to like finally blame other than her high school bullies. And like, you know, she never even admitted to herself that she's a loser. So like she's now using this sort of energy to go after a young person because they don't understand the social media habits and relationship that someone might have with their phone versus fucking good morning America. Yeah. It's, (laughs) I don't know. It's really, it's really frustrating that, and I know that we all do it. Like we do judge people based on their reactions. I know we shouldn't and we do. I think it's, especially unfair when it comes to a teenage girl and her family. Yeah. And it's especially like unhinged when you've appointed yourself as the author of something who, I mean, I don't know if you picked this up in the aunt statement as well, but it seems like the great aunt spoke to her maybe not realizing what kind of person Chelsea was and she's doing the best she can to like delicately backtrack and say like, I wouldn't want to do anything to hurt her. We're just really confused. And it's like adults taking out like with her great aunt, it feels like she's taking out on Hannah a little bit of, you know, the fact that Hannah can't make the unimaginable and something that you could never understand, more bite-sized for her. Right. I just don't... And I shared this with you earlier about the only parallel that I can make to my life was when my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And, And I, like, just still pretended that everything was normal and... You know, I it's my biggest regret that I wasn't with her in the hospital every single second. But I I look at myself as a 17-year-old when this happened, and that's what I needed in order to, like, keep going. Like, not once did I think, all right, you know, mom could die or anything like that. Like, it was just like, no, this is our normal now. And that's how I dealt with it. I just, I don't, and I know that it's apples and oranges. Like, my mom did not die. And thankfully, and, you know, I didn't have to deal with that. But I do think that, especially at that age, you just are craving normalcy and that is like that's the ultimate goal 
I guess. I don't know. I just... No, I, I feel like society also breeds us to be selfish in that way at that time because... Like, those years, like, your sophomore, junior, senior year of high school, like, basically your whole life, if you grew up anything like me, and I think a lot of people did, which is why the student debt crisis is so out of control. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Like, you're being told to, you have to, that's, like, going to be, it's so easy to minimize it now when you're Chelsea, who, like, self-publishes on Amazon, if that when your Chelsea you self publishes on Amazon, it's so easy to lose track of the fact that like what kids are taught is that your whole life goal is to get into a good college and to have these activities and to be doing these things. Like even for you, like as much as you were probably just trying to cope, like I'm sure there was a part of you that was like, I can't fuck up my my whole life because of this. Like, right. And I think that that might be a little bit of what's being missed out on here is like kids are actually really like groomed to be very like selfish and to keep keep life moving to like not to not get things got get well, too caught I up. I don't in even things. know. I mean, yeah, part of it could be selfishness, but part of it could also be like she had had several conversations with her mom about what college she wanted to go to or you know, what she wanted to do with her life. And that felt like more of a tribute than crying on camera. Oh, but totally. And you when know? I say selfish, I don't mean like selfish. No, and like I know I know exactly what you meant. I didn't take it as a negative thing. But, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like, it is kind of... As a... I'm not a parent, but I... I feel like the love that parents have for their child and their child's future is so acknowledged. I mean, I know that my parents want the absolute best for me, no matter what. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure Shauna wants the best for you, no matter sure. what. Yeah, for sure. You know, also, I think Shauna and Christine would get along very well. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, let's get them together. Let's do it. But yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think it is like partly this like self-protection, but also like it feeds into what, you know, this person wants for you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And keeping a brave face and all of that. And additionally, can we just say that like it is, it's so strange to me that this, like, you know, I don't know, fucking, she, I wouldn't even go to begin to compare her to, like, body moving or something from Don't Fuck With Cats. But it's, like, she's this sort of, like, self-appointed, I don't know, like, reporter, but, like, slash caretaker over the situation. This, like, miserable woman, Chelsea Hoffman, saying that she's thinking Hannah's faking a broken leg and, you know, she's posting a Tumblr. It's, like, that's what kids do. That's what, like, not the bro, you know, like, she probably has a fucking sports injury. Like, have you seen Cheer? It's a show that's basically about how all these kids are going to be in wheelchairs at age 40. <laughs> exactly. Like, you know, like, it's like, why, why are you so obsessed with the comings and goings of a teenager online? And also, is when you're 
even though she was in this spectacular situation, she was probably in the habit of, now I agree, maybe if she had started her first blog the day that she got home, that'd be different. But like every kid had a Tumblr and wanting to go home and like reblog Twilight memes and like, you know. Yeah, I mean, that that's how she was raised. Like she was 16 and so she was born in what, like 97 maybe? 96 or 97. Like this is a child who was raised on the internet. So that is her outlet. That is her like, that's her friendship. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a way to like, it's a bulletin board basically. Sure. I mean, it is, you know, I don't see why it's weird for somebody who was raised in that time to as somebody and I think like you and I are in the same kind of like we grew up kind of on the cusp of the internet so we remember what it was like before but also have the experience now which I think is like kind of a cool place I agree. I agree. Because Tumblr in particular, like, I mean, I was on Tumblr always as a legal adult, but I had sort of like really petered off in my day-to-day usage of it around like 2011. But guys, Kate signed up for TikTok today. She's not posting. But I, I did find Hannah Anderson's TikTok account. And it seems like she's just, you know, she posts very normal mom content. It's not even like branded i described it to kate as like different than what you would normally see on tiktok because it feels more like what people would post to instagram stories but she's posting it to tiktok i it's a small account she does have her name on it but like there's really i was going through all the comments there's really no people that mention the kidnapping or anything like that and I think that like what I've noticed the most on TikTok is that something happened just after the time I left and it would, would have been around 2012, 2013, that time. There are people who were on Tumblr who from 2013, no, 2012 to like 2015 are the years I hear a lot mentioned. It was before they banned porn. It was before they made it so that you couldn't edit the posts that you were reblogging. There's a famous meme of like why John Green had to quit Tumblr. But like there there started to be so much discussion on Tumblr about like mental illness and eating disorders and sexuality. And for a lot of people, I see now they're in their 20s, like how damaging being on Tumblr around that time was and so if you weren't like using it to sort of figure out if you were like a a furry a romantic you know like if you weren't using your time to figure that out it does seem like every just it's like instagram like every bitch had one or like a snapchat like every bitch had one and like it's where you went after school it's where you found out about your niche interests it was like an organized mixture of google and pinterest where you could basically just find out or read about pretty much anything you wanted. And so everyone was on there. This is like, you know, the ramifications of being on Tumblr. And then the time. people who like translated that into their own live journals. Oh, yeah. That was good content. Classic. 
<laughs> did you have a live journal? I did. You did. I did have a live journal. And then I only went to Tumblr because well, I was a writer on Tumblr, so I probably did use it like a live journal. But I started I started on live journal, then I went to when I started to Famer, they told me I should have a website for the masshead. So I just started a blog on Vox and then Tumblr completely blew up and everyone was saying you should switch to Tumblr. And I just said, I didn't like the back end. I don't like the features, but finally I got over there. I got, you know, the username malls and I just started post. I just started posting there. And like, that's where a lot of stuff really blew up for me. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I did have a live journal. I had a sex in the city mood set that someone did as a favor for me. I forget what I had to do. And I mostly just blogged about the boy I liked who didn't like me back in college. I could live journal about that all day long these days. So I'm just kidding. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm just oh, kidding. We'll talk offline. Yeah, we will. <laughs> but yeah, so this infamous Ask FM was this was the thing that like you know they focus on this in the movie a lot they focus on again this like what was viewed as attention seeking behavior when it's really like i don't know maybe just no one was paying attention to her before well and and it just seems normal like if i were raised to i don't know if it all right so for our age group Facebook started when I was a freshman in in college, and I know you were in Boston, so you were... My school was one of the first six to have Facebook. Yeah. Okay. So, and I was, I went to UGA, so I was at a state school, so we were probably, like, one of the first 50, so not huge. You still needed a college email. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, and I feel like it should still be that way. <laughs> I agree. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think. Oh, just like back in the day, like when Facebook first came around, especially when we thought it was like a small media, like pop, like social yeah, media. Like thing. I'm thinking of the things that I put up there or allowed to be like tagged or whatever. And what I would allow now. It's very different. Oh, the first picture of me ever on Facebook is me funneling a beer. <laughs> like, you know, sure, we had talked about your digital footprint and you don't want employers seeing that. Sure, we had spoken about those things. But I also just was like, what kind of like fucking monster is going to judge a, you know, a 21 year old for funneling a beer in her friend's kitchen? Like, I always you'd have felt to be insane. the same way. Yeah. Like, and that's really, like, I've heard that's really what's not not going to get you in trouble, I don't think, if you're looking for a job anymore. The digital footprint thing does matter, but yeah. So Ask.fm was a website that came up just around this time, and it allowed users to ask questions completely anonymously. And so she had basically been fielding all of these questions probably through also the Tumblr question feature. Maybe this was, maybe the question feature was invented as an antidote to something like Ask FM. But she got a ton of questions. Some, this article from heavy.com, they have some of them preserved. So we're going to read them, but it says Anderson answered a flood of inquiries and provided answers to most of 
to the most baffling and previously unanswered questions about her kidnapping. Although she was accused numerous times of not being the real Hannah Anderson, capitalizing on tragedy, a brief scroll reveals that this account long predates the kidnapping and that Anderson posted photos of herself to the account frequently before last week. So that again, this is a girl who's like in the habit of posting to social media. There are people that go through terrible things and then they get a blog and it's like, you know, that's still also okay. Yeah. But it's not like this was like, oh, so strange that she'd be posting to the internet. So let's go through some of them. Someone asked, the news said you went with him willingly. Were you? And she says, no, not at all. And then someone says, how did he separate you from your mom and your brother? And he says, he tied them up in the garage. I'm done answering questions about it, so don't bother asking. That feels fair. When did you get your nails done? And she said yesterday. And this is the kind of thing, like, guys, she's not fucking Scott Peterson. She's not Chris Watts. Like, this is not a, a criminal mastermind that's like out doing normal things and you can judge that from them. Like there's nothing more normal than a 16 year old going to get a manicure after being kidnapped. In some ways there's really nothing more normal and or healthy about that. So they do have a picture of her nails here and she did the duck bill shape, which was popular for a while. And what she got was French tips on four of her fingers with a statement nail that is painted half pink, half blue for her mom and Ethan. And then someone wrote, are you serious, Misha? I think um, Misha might be her friend. Are you serious, Misha? You're on Hannah's ask. LOL. Why? She finally just slept last night and you're already on her. Give her space. So maybe so that was someone else who wrote wrote that to another asker who they had sort of identified. Someone writes, and Hannah writes back, please, and stop camping out on my grandma's front porch waiting for me to come out. Thank you. So, again, this is, like, another thing that sort of just supports my theory that, like, people, like, she was being hounded. And she's not going to go out and talk to the press. Right. Like, she's a minor. So she's just fucking locked in her house, tumbling her ass off. And so... Another person says, why do you seem so okay with everything? You answer these questions, it seems, without emotion. What have you been going what have what you've been through is tough and you had a lot of people praying for you. In fact, I did. It just seems so weird that everything that's happened to you doesn't seem to affect you at all. It's so unfair. I like I think about I think about even like <laughs> the first time you and I ever talked was on a patreon i've never listened to it but i've always regretted saying what i said where (laughs) i think like you were asking me about being a lawyer and i think you asked me something like you know if you were going to be disbarred for something like what would it be Uh and and i said something to the effect of You know, I love, I love Barba so much from SBU. I was like, just something like that. Like, I need to go out. And what I meant in my head was I would want to go out for a good reason, saving somebody and doing good. And what I 
don't think I made <laughs> clear was like, you know, I, I think I just said something like, oh, like Barba and Barba legit like killed a an infant. <laughs> like, I do try to forget that. I mean, you know me. I do not want to kill any infants, but my point was like, I want to make a difference. And if losing my bar license is part of that, then that's okay. And I, I feel like it's the same kind of thing with Hannah. Like you ask these questions and you don't recognize that like your answer is going to be scrutinized the way that it might be. Well, yeah. I well, first of all, I don't think anyone scrutinized you for that. Did I scrutinize you? No, I don't think so. And again, I've never listened to it because I don't like listening to myself. But I feel you. No, I was. If I if I had any weird reaction, it was probably just. No, that, like, I don't think you. I don't think you did. I think this has been a thing that I've carried with me for like two years. Where oh, I'm like, no. <laughs> I think I said this, and it's recorded, and I'm so ashamed of it because I don't think I explained myself well enough. Oh, oh my God. Do not even play that game because tr- listen, oh my God, no, I'm very verbally irresponsible. I'm the first to say it. Like whenever someone's like, I don't know, I think I said a couple weeks ago that I was like, oh yeah, everything at Target is made by children. Like, and <laughs> someone said to me like, that's really damaging. And I was like, yeah, I'm verbally irresponsible, but also who is it damaging? Like, right. You know, like Target, like they don't care. And also people do need to realize that like, you know, it was in relation to a story about like crochet talk, real like realizing that if Target is selling crocheted sweaters, then that means that the people who work in the sweatshop probably crochet at the rate they do and what minimum wage would look like in their state. And like, they were just like doing this. They were doing too much for people where it's like, babe, are you just finding out about sweatshops because it applies to like one of your hobbies? Yeah. yeah. You know, don't overthink it. I don't even remember that. And frankly. Oh, I'm sure you don't. I'm sure I'm the only one who's ever thought about it. I'm just like, I'm amazed that I let you talk about my boyfriend because normally when people start talking about Barbara, I say, shh, shh. Shut it down. I Don't talk about my boyfriend. I know this. And no, I'm you're so sorry. Like, I no, love him I... so much. I don't love him probably as much as you, but I, as an attorney, he's my muse. No, I love that. And, and, you know, I'm a little bit of a, I'm, you know, I'm just that girl, you know, I call dibs on everyone. Like, I also don't like it when people talk about my boyfriend, Carisi. And you know what, Molly, like, you can't have all of them. You can't. So you're allowed to love Barba. And I don't think you should have any reason to like regret. I think, I think you are allowed to have Carisi and Barba. So thank you. I think we should share. I mean, I'd be fine with that, too. Let's move somewhere with our moms and share two fictional characters together. Perfect. So Hannah writes back to that, you know, accusation that she's staying very calm and says, I'm trying to stay strong and get out the truth. You don't know. I could be crying answering these questions at the moment. You you can show real emotion over social media. Do you really think I wouldn't be okay, that I would be okay with being kidnapped? 
and hurt and finding out my dog, little brother and mom was killed. You're fucking crazy. And like, that's a great point because this is someone who is looking at flat text on a screen and saying like, you're not giving enough of emotional reaction. It's like, it's like being in the worst fight ever with like the worst boyfriend you've ever had over text where it's like anything, this, anything, this girl who has just gone through a terrible tragedy would say would be held against her. Yes. A hundred percent. So, you know, there's some nice people like you're strong and an inspiration. I have a couple of couple of these ask fm answers i think i have some notes from the book if you want to hear them yeah i just want to hit this one other one really quick someone said what was the worst thing that happened to you during the whole kidnap and she says finding out about my mom ethan and my dog so like that feels like a person who's not being particularly self-centered to me right i agree And someone else said, why was it uncomfortable to see your dad? And she said, well, personally, it's kind of hard to see any guy adult right now. Fair. So, like, I mean, to me, that's just like, not that like we're trying to prove anything here, but to me, that's like, you know, further evidence that, you know, I mean, this girl was traumatized. Like, she doesn't even want to be around an adult man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about the book. Okay. So this is what the book says. Quote. Fact, with multiple, quote, selfie photographs and various postings on her Ask FM page, Hannah talked about the alleged kidnapping, stating that she, quote, wished she could have done more to save them. Okay, so then this is what the author goes on to say. This statement only brought more confusion, leaving many people shaking heads again and asking, what did she do, if anything, to try to save them? If she, quote, wished she, quote, could have done more, why didn't she? Many say that this statement puts her, quote, right right there while they were being murdered, end quote. All right. Fact. This also a quote. In another post, Hannah stated, I will never forgive myself for not trying harder to save them, end quote. Was Hannah now trying to say that she didn't, that she did try to save them? If she feels so guilty for, quote, not trying harder, where are the emotions while talking about her mother and brother and the events that led up to or caused their deaths? Again, This statement puts her there, and it also points toward her knowing all about what happened way before heading to Idaho. End quote. Oh, this is okay. So, okay. Let's spend some time on this because, well, you're first of all, you're a lawyer. So, I would like to know, like, you know, we'll unpack that in a second. But I I just want to quickly say, like, like what? I want to quickly say that nothing I ever say on this podcast or have ever said on mother may I sleep with podcast um it's legal advice so no it's not legal advice but this type of like arguing right this seems like almost someone doing like an impression of what could happen in a courtroom it's such bullshit this is the like something happens to somebody and you say oh I'm so sorry and they say why are you sorry 
that's exactly what it is. It's like, well, I'm sorry that this happened to you. And nothing beyond that. I'm not sorry because I had anything to do with it. I'm just sorry that this happened to you. Like, it's also survivor's guilt. Like, yeah. Even if she couldn't have physically, like, done anything, like, what was she supposed to do? Wrestle him to the ground? Like, think legit. I mean, really, people need to be thinking, like, what could she have done? Exactly. But, like, this knowing that. This old man with a gun. Uh-huh. Exactly. That, like, you know, I mean, it was mask off on someone she's known her whole life. Yeah. It's terrifying. Give me some more of these because I'm kind of fat. I'm kind of fascinated. I mean, I knew it was going to be bad. Was this self-published? It must have been. I need to double check that. But so the thing that really gave it away for me is they um, name dropped Pierce Morgan. And they misspelled his name. So I feel like it has to have been self-published. How do they spell it? Uh, P-I-E-R-C-E, like Pierce, but he's Pierce. Yeah. P-I-R- P-I-E-R-S, right? Pierce Morgan. Yeah, no, that's uh, not right. Yeah, he's Pierce. Here's a little, like, section about some questions about, like, the actual, t- like, time of. So someone says, are you back in San Diego? Did he take you because he loved you and wanted to be with you? And she goes, no, he took me to basically use me to carry his shit to the river. Um, And he said, did did he make you help him put tree branches on his car? And he said, yes, he threatened me if I didn't help. And then there's also one in here that just says, you should probably take a break from social media for a bit to grieve and process. And I, the reason why I hate this is that like, What people don't understand about someone who's grieving who goes on social media is because they feel like alone. And so that advice about like get off social media isn't always helpful to people because that just leaves them alone. Right. So, you know, that like there's this always this like soft encouragement to, you know, maybe you should put the phone down, you know, maybe you should do that. It's like, well, and there are those people who, need to share in order to process and I think that's probably more true for the younger generations I don't know absolutely I mean I definitely have those Facebook friends from way back when that I'm like I'm not actually friends with you anymore I should unfriend you but I really want to know all your dirt so and you're an oversharer and I'm going to keep this going. Yeah. And it's also like one of those things where I want to say like, congrats to you on like having found healthier coping, coping mechanisms or like, you know, why don't you recognize the fact that you're so privileged that you've never felt like you didn't have anyone to communicate with and or that like you could, you could self preserve in a way that's so honestly is such a gift that yes. you could do that. It's so like, you know, be instead of telling someone to get offline when they're talking about something that's upsetting them, like, why don't you sit back and think like, I am so lucky that I have the coping mechanisms that would make it so that I wouldn't be doing that in this scenario. And like, I'm either going to just disengage or with this person because like, I can't relate. It makes me feel icky. I don't know what's going on. I can't, I don't have the emotional space for this right now, but a lot of times it's these things where it's like, actually, 
Hannah's not doing anything wrong. That's a you problem. Like if it puts a bad taste in your mouth, that doesn't mean she's doing anything wrong. That's your problem. Right. Like I have misophonia, right? This is my my classic example. I have misophonia when someone does one of my triggers for me. A lot of times it's like clicking of nails or like people like scraping a tooth because I don't like the sound of like bone on bone. I know that sounds awful, but like it's or biting their nails. That gets to me. Mm-hmm. The first thing I do when I when I'm around someone who's doing that relentlessly and I like physically am starting to feel like I'm going to jump out of my skin about it. The first thing I do is I just like put my hand down and I say, hey, I'm so sorry. This is my thing. I'm not going to be able to be here if you keep doing that because of it's a it's a me thing. Like I have a condition that makes it difficult for me to be around that. I'm there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. That's how I am with cracking knuckles, necks, backs, all of that. You don't, that's, you can't handle I it. I can't handle it. I never have been able to. Yeah. I, I do feel so bad when I'm in a meeting and I crack my knuckles and you can see, especially if it's like a pitch meeting or something, you can see the executives like visibly wince. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Uh. When I was in school and we would have chapel every week, I swear the boys would crack their knuckles and or necks just to fuck with me because I couldn't say anything in chapel. It it just had to be quiet. And there was so much cracking happening. And you want, and you like, it's, that's the thing about misophonia that a lot of people don't understand is that it like physically hurts. Yes. It hurts. Like I, I found out that I had it because I had heard Kelly Ripa saying that she feels that way about hearing people eat apples. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. Cause I had never, I didn't know it had a thing. finally understands. And then I saw a 2020 special about how like there's college students who like, for example, like they can't study in the library because like they hear the clicking and clacking of keys and like they, it was, yeah, I think it was a dramatization a little bit that they did where they like showed a kid just like, you know, experiencing like the intense sort of feeling you get. They did a really good job of sort of illustrating how like small the noise is to you. Yeah. And like, where it just like it hits a part of your brain that like that it can only be like waterboarded with a sound so many time times before and a lot of times it does like I'm lucky that it doesn't do this to me I'm more likely to just like ball up physically ball up and start crying or leave but like it makes a lot of people violent yeah you know like a lot of people throw things because they're so like there, it's just such sensory overload for them that like it makes them angry. So I can't relate to that to that level, but I do. I mean, doing what I do, I work with people who have adopted children with like very special, like high special needs, and a lot of that is it, like neurodivergent behavior. Yes, thank you, and. And it's very much pushed forward by what they hear, what they say, like these environmental, you know, not substances, but like 
but like environmental factors, like things that can just, yeah, exactly. And that will set them off so much. And it's just, it's incredible. Like how sensitive some people are. Well, I mean, it's brought me a lot of compassion because like, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, being like ADD as fuck, like without it being treated, I didn't even like, you know, I guess I was diagnosed with it when I was a kid, but my mom like felt like medicating me was like not the move. And like, you know, I feel like I struggled a lot my whole life. And then finally, when I was 34 or something, I finally got diagnosed and I started to take Adderall and you know, it wasn't like in an abusive situation. Like it was a very low dose that made sense for me. And like, I, I, same thing with like, yeah, I have some like neurodivergent things. Like, I don't know if misophonia falls in that or what, but when I see someone suffering with something that doesn't make sense to me or seems overblown, I feel very empathetic towards their situation like it just makes me feel like I know I don't know what that's like but I do know what it's like to feel like this thing that everyone else does or everyone else here is sitting and acting like it's normal it's misunderstood for me yeah Yeah, it makes me feel not does you know and it's not even that their reaction is disproportionate it's just that that's how bad it feels for them yeah So like, you know, that's like, I don't know, that's the thing that makes me I don't know, I feel it makes me feel like I have better like compassion and empathy for other people be like through all these years of sort of figuring out how my brain works. And it's just like, I I just think it's a very like lazy and weird thing to do to like tell other people like, you know what, the best thing you could do is remove yourself from the equation. It's like, well, the best thing you could do is scroll. (laughs) (laughs) you know like don't like that's not like that's not always the best advice sure there's cases but it's not always the best advice so basically she was very much shamed for all of this stuff and she should not have been even no this is no not at all teenager she is a child who is no taken advantage of and her family was murdered like Fuck off to anybody who thinks she had anything to do with this. And like almost like taking advantage of like I know like I don't even I don't think you like misspoke. I think that like this is the thing is that like it's not like she was convinced she was in love with him and that's how she was taking advantage of like she was groomed and selected well, over many years to trust this person. I mean, she says that. Yeah. Someone asked. And I yeah. think that it's, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is kind of weird, but I trust you. Yeah, this is kind of weird. It's getting weirder. It's getting weirder. But like your Uncle Jim. Right? Yeah. Like there's one thing where she says in there that like she didn't ever tell anyone that her mom or dad that that James was starting to like creep her out a little bit because they were he was a family best friend and she didn't want to hurt them, meaning her parents. Right. And that is like, you know, another thing that feels completely understandable if you yes. even think about it for five seconds. And then um, this, I thought this nugget was interesting because it goes to show like how close the family was and how manipulative James really probably could have been. 
Someone says, so your mom and Ethan were just at his house for no reason, and the thing went off, and they caught on fire and burned? And Hannah writes back, he told us he was losing his house because of money issues, so we went up there one last time to support him and to have fun riding go-karts up there, but he tricked us. Like, damn. Yeah. So I have this, this is out of the statement analysis in this book zip ties and lies the question is and this is from the ask fm how did he separate you from your mom and brother answer he tied them up in the garage i'm done answering questions about it so don't bother asking and so they were analyzing this obviously and here's the analysis the question is sensitive to the subject as she is as she not only avoids it but says she is, quote, done answering it, and then adds in the reason why she is, quote, done answering it, making it a very sensitive question. What makes it so very sensitive to the subject? My comment, I guess this is the author. This is why this is such a shitty book. I can't tell. Okay, what makes it so very sensitive to the subject? My comment that the analysis didn't say. Quote, I noticed that she wouldn't answer how they were separated, end quote, which is total bullshit. I mean, like how many times is a person like this child supposed to answer the terrible state like that to me is if anything, people are like, well, if she really wanted to prove it and it's like. Babe, I don't think that that's like what she's trying to do. I think that like the most insensitive thing you can do is ask a minor repeatedly to recount the last moments yes. that you. she was with her mother and and little brother before they were murdered. Like, like, and I mean, at the end of the day, did Hannah Anderson handle everything the way that like you or I may have? Probably not. No, she handled it the way I would have. But like, like percent, <laughs> it is absolutely within like the range of where she would have, like how she would have handled things. Well, the dialogue just wasn't there. Like it wasn't there wasn't the the vibe wasn't out there. The truth wasn't out there. Well, and about I think- one. It's like, it's fucking rude to ask a victim to repeatedly recount the most violent parts of a traumatic 100%. event. Like we don't do, we, we don't do that anymore. And, and I feel also that way about, you know, the, this was, you know, only 10 years ago. And I want to give a shout out to the world for like, quick, cause this would never fly now. Right. This whole case, like. This fucking bitch Chelsea on the news like this would never fly now like you know for all of the complaints about the way that like you know Gabby Petito was reported on by online sleuths or whatever and yes I agree most of that can be very fucking damaging yeah but like I mean that case was also very much solved by the internet. And anyone who was like lying or clout chasing, and this is why I do like TikTok, I call it a self-cleaning app, because like truly like if there's like bad vibes, like people will call it out, it will be sussed out, you you know, if you're watching, if you get a TikTok like that, it won't be long before you get one from someone who's saying like, hey, all of these psychics who are talking about this case should really be ashamed of themselves, like stuff like that. So 
I mean, all of these, there's so many, they're like the dialogue about her being inappropriate for being online. That would be shut down. The dialogue about maybe her doing this because she was somehow sexually attracted and wanted to kill her mom because she was mad at, at about the divorce. That would be shut down. Like there's the re-traumatizing her and demanding a certain re- reaction that would be shut down. Yeah. That could never that could never have a place in a modern dialogue today, which is like yes. thrilling. I, I mean, the fact of the matter is she's a minor. She had no hand in any of this. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think it would be handled differently today. I hope anyway yeah well i feel like this was a good first up i mean do you have we can also include in the notes for this episode if there's any parts of the book that you're just like i need to i forgot about this like i'm sure there's going to be things i'm putting the links that you guys the ones that we mentioned specifically we're going to put those into the description so you'll be able to find everything that's what i do on trend lightly i just really yeah you know that's my thing i, I control if you just put a link to this book which is fucking insane that would be good and you can get it for free if you have a kindle <laughs> yeah it's on kindle, membership right kindle unlimited yeah so if you have kindle unlimited if not i know that guys i know it i know all you um book nerds are always saying that there's places you can go and just basically find any book that's ever been written for free online. All right. Well, look for zip ties and lies because I don't want to support this author because I think she's really And I have like, a feeling it's not in your local library. Yeah, probably not. It's probably self-published. I just, I don't know. And I don't want to like talk shit about this woman either, but like, I just think like, I don't know. Talking shit about a 16-year-old who's been through shit is No, I mean she like, looks like in her picture. You're she taking looks like a in, stance. Her picture, I like I'm like I'm not looks shaming her or whatever. I'm like it's there's a vibe and an insecurity that co- can come across in photos and like it seems like she's chasing she's chasing something she never was and She's like, she, this is exactly the type of bitch that when I find out someone from high school is like, you know, on the rare fucking occasion that I, someone from high school manages to like bring up someone from high school that I, I oddly remember. Mm-hmm. And I find out that they were like saying shit about me. I'm like, oh my God, like it's been, it has been over 20 years and you haven't stopped thinking about me. Like what happened to you? Yeah, Exactly. At least I have things to say about me. Yeah. Like the only thing I can say about you is that you're you can't keep your eyes off me, baby. Yeah. <laughs> but Kate, this was so much fun. You guys were this is gonna be probably the like, I don't know, one of the longer episodes we ever do. as in the Mother May I Sleep a podcast tradition, you have to pop off with a banger yes. from the very beginning and then slowly decline over years. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. But, but you have not declined at all. But well, thank you. Guys, yeah, this is our first episode. We're figuring it out. It will be different probably every episode, depending on 
the seriousness of the topic we're covering, how much we relate to it, how, you know, how interesting it is to us in terms of this is like brand new information. I've never encountered something like that. And also with a lot of these stories that I hope we get to cover, there's not going to be, I mean, this as little as you can find about this story online, like this is a story that I feel for what the type of stories we're probably going to wind up covering. This was also a wealth of information. A lot of these like based on a true story type things, we could really luxuriate in the reddits of it all, all of that stuff. If you guys have suggestions for stories we should cover on future episodes, I am going to try and set up a little Instagram for us. I love that. Also, I would encourage people to not read the book on this. Yeah. We're we're going to take that back. If don't buy a Kindle, if you don't have one yeah, to read Yeah, if you don't have book. Kindle Unlimited, maybe just don't. Like, they didn't even spell Pierce Morgan's name right. Are you using a real Kindle? I am, yeah. Do, do you have to have that to use Kindle Unlimited? I mean, they have an app. I feel like I was informed yesterday that, like, my Kindle Unlimited was about to expire. And that just goes to show how badly my bills need to be cleaned up. Yeah. Because I, I don't even have feeling. a Kindle. I know that feeling. And I'm like, I I, th- I feel like I go through and check my subscriptions. But anyway, you guys, thank you so much for listening. If we're not on Instagram when you hear this, if that's not either linked in the description or something that I'm promoting on Twitter or my own Instagram or wherever you might listen, definitely Mother Macy's pod- podcast Instagram will always have stuff like that. Maybe that's where we'll keep it. That's that's probably the good I place to that. keep it. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna maybe put places so that you can comment and make suggestions for based on a true story, and that's in quotes, type stories from Lifetime. And I, you know, I, I'm willing to expand it. I would even be down to do this for SVU. I love that. Yeah. So you guys we'll talk to you soon. That's Kate Stafford. She's the fucking best. I'm Molly McAleer. Thank you for being a solid listen plus subscriber. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Love you guys. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.